the life lessons that you can give to these young men and, and the I can in those messages can touch anybody at any time and push them to a new level in life. This is the Triad Podcast Network. Today's guest and Winston-Salem native graduated as UNC Asheville's all-time leading scorer at the time with more than 1,500 points. He also accumulated the most career steals then at 175, while leading the Bulldogs to consecutive Big South regular season crowns for the first time in program history. The two-time League Player of the Year played professionally overseas for 17 seasons, earning unmeasurable respect and even some of the most prestigious team and individual hardware to show for it. Today, this person is patrolling the sidelines for Davie High School. Just a few years removed from guiding Winston-Salem Prep to a 24-game win streak, he's directed the War Eagles boys basketball team to the most remarkable start since the Eisenhower administration, and it only took year two in Moxville. Now, he's closing in on win number 160 for his career as a high school head coach and moving his team closer to becoming the last ones to cut down some nets. But in the end, as my guest will tell you, it's not just the numbers on the scoreboard at the final horn that'll represent the legacy of this year's War Eagles team. I'm Kyle Schasperger, and this is the story of Josh Pittman and the 23-24 varsity boys basketball team at Davie High on Triad Sports one-on-one. All right, it's a game night. We're talking mid-afternoon beforehand. I hope I'm not cramping your style too much, Coach, or, or interfering with your normal routine. Take me through your day if you could. Peel, peel back the curtain. Take us uh, through the life of a successful high school boys varsity coach. Any superstitions or certain movements throughout the day that are non-negotiable? I mean, no, uh, I, I try to get it. I get up in the morning. I try to always do my little prayer to myself. And, and have well wishes all around. And if I don't do it in the morning, I try to get to it at least in the afternoon. Um, then from there, I try to basically, especially like on a Friday or a big game, I try to make sure that the lesson here at school is gives me an opportunity to kind of just let the kids work a little bit, whether that be group work or something, so I can ease off during my planning and look at um, film and try to get the final steps ready to get prepared. But I always feel like, the key is if you're not prepared the day of the game, then you're not doing something right. And I feel like we have to be prepared. Like today's Friday, I like for us to start getting prepared Wednesday for a Friday game. And if we play on a Tuesday, I like us to get prepared Saturday for a Tuesday game. So for me, I don't really have too many superstitions. I just think that my, my big board with all my scouting should be done and complete. So when the kids go in there, and then I try to send them a little motivational uh, points throughout the day to make sure that they're sharp and locked in. But, I mean, their kids at the end of the day is high school, and I try to treat them the way I want to be treated, and that's just prepping them and then letting them be and letting them enjoy their high school experience. We'll get more into your coaching philosophy, I'm sure, in the way you answer some of these next few questions um, that I've kind of laid out in my mind and, and where I kind of want this to go in terms of what you've built Davie County boys basketball and the varsity team into here in year two, but to, you know, your past and where you've come from and playing professionally and playing collegiately at UNC Asheville. But I think it would be appropriate to at least bring up, you you mentioned motivational messages. You know, I could tell Mm -hmm. if anybody looks at your social media or if they meet you in person, you know, we haven't met, uh, but I can tell just in the first couple of minutes with talking to you and helping to line up this interview, you know, you're, you're a man of extreme faith. So there's no questioning that and allowing that greater, you know, presence in our lives to, to guide us is, is something you preach and live out each day. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, it's because like I've been through a lot 
And and I've been to some points, you know, some dark spots. I've been to some bright spots. But the only consistent, of course, is, is your family. And, and the most consistent is God, especially when you're on them times by yourself. And I know we live in a different times now, so I don't try to push religion or anything on any anybody because everybody comes from different backgrounds and different upbringings. But I do, you know, in my words and in, in what I talk about, I always give glory to God, try to get to church every Sunday with the family and, and make sure that we give our due thanks. Because for me personally, coming from where I came from to where I am now, it had to be a greater being. It had to be a greater guidance. And, and that's one of the things I'm going to always stand on no matter what. Your team in year one, the 22-23 season, you went 17-9. and nine. Uh, At the time of our conversation ahead of a game with with Mount Tabor, by the way, Andy Muse is an alum of this podcast, was on the show maybe two years ago exactly. Uh, I think I had COVID at the time, and I was doing it wow. from my closet. Uh, but, but yes, Andy <laughs> has been on the program. But your team, Josh, has, has already exceeded 17. You're at 18 to just one loss. Uh, is it the water, the pregame meal? Or are you just coaching them harder? Uh, what do you attribute to the greatest reason why uh, this team has got off to such a fast start, winning 17 of their first 18, 18 of their first 19 now after a win earlier this week? I mean, I attribute it to them. I attribute it to them buying in to the vision that I like to see played in basketball, that team game where you have multiple. I mean, of course you have some teams where you can get a guy the ball and say, hey, go get me 30. But I feel like the best basketball that I've always played and been taught, it's, it's, it's harder to beat a team that's balanced. And I give them all the credit, man, because they work hard. I, ask, I actually demand a lot of them. Like, I, I, I mean, we started – preparing for this year last spring with the girls coach coach Adams we was working together um doing strength and conditioning she was handling a lot of that and then I was handling a lot of the basketball skill set part for both the boys and girls and I think that built that camaraderie within the, the basketball program here and since spring of last year up to the fall through the summertime playing together AAU through the fall they've always been ears open and been coachable and that's the easiest part. When my job is easy when you have 14, 15 kids on varsity, 14, 15 kids on JV that just buy into what we're trying to do here in the in the atmosphere that we're trying to create. So it's I give all glory to them, man, because without them, I couldn't be I wouldn't be standing here talking to you, sitting here talking to you today, because we wouldn't have won 18 out of 19 if they haven't bought in and believed in the system that I think best fits our team. If you were to give your boys truth serum, uh, let's say your point guard, Coleman, uh, Coleman Lawhon, is yes. that how you pronounce yes. it? Yeah, Lawhon. How, how would he describe you? If you were to put his arm around him, maybe help uplift him in, in, in a down moment or maybe, you know, help to, to amplify his successes as, you know, he's he's had a, quite a few of those as, as mm-hmm. the senior leader on this team. How do you think he would describe you as a coach? And, and does that mesh with kind of the message you're trying to get across? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't know, man. I got to laugh at them a lot because, you know, they – Always got their little side jokes or whatnot. But I mean, they would, I honestly think they would say at the end of the day that I'm a player's coach because, like, having God bless, having so much experience playing, I, I just try to honestly coach them the way that I love. I used to want to be coached, that I was able to be coached sometimes. And because I've been on both ends where I had difficulties with a coach, then I had other ends where I had a great relationship with a coach. But at the end of the day, I always realized, even looking back on it, it had a lot to do with my approach because all coaches coach different. But the way a player approaches and is open to learning from that coach could be the big difference. And so I think they would look at me as just like a player's coach, man, like a 
I would I wouldn't say kind of that mix between a father uncle figure and and an older friend, not like a friend that where we we are friends, like we cool, like. I'm cool with the kids and, and I love them to death and they know I love them, but I can also be firm with them when it's needed. And that's where I think we had that good balance. How different do you think? And, and your perspective is is entirely different because you were younger in the 90s, you know, coming up, you were what the kids are, their age is now <laughs> as you coach them. But how different might you suggest kids are versus, you know, the 90s when you were playing? I think the kids nowadays, they have more distractions. Like we had, of course, we had the game. We had the video games. We, of course, as young teenagers growing up, some of us, you know, however you, you know, whatever you want to say, you know, you had your girlfriend or whatnot. Um, and and those were like our distractions. And as, and now you, you you're dealing with a with an age group that that most of them drive. Most of them, you know, have that phone. That phone is huge for them. They have they have a big social network that I would say we didn't have coming up because. We wanted to go. So we walked everywhere. You know, we we played at the rec every night, two to one, two in the morning, because we were able to do that because the people in the neighborhood protected us. Like nowadays, it's a whole different vibe. The energy is different in the, in society in the neighborhoods. So I think for them, it's the difference is is the advancement in technology, the um the difference in upbringing, as opposed to when we was coming up back in the nineties. The music, like everything, is different as far as that aspect. But I think it's just about trying to relate to them and understand them as opposed to push my thoughts and my opinions on them. Before I ask you to drill down on a couple more of those players and your personnel, I'm, I'm curious about the relationship that you might have with parents, how pivotal or instrumental you know that relation may be, even as an AAU coach, because right. you double up as, as a guy who helps run the NC Rise AAU program that operates out of a a, a new facility at Bermuda Run. So, you know, being able to manage those relationships and and to deal with what I'm sure can be some some overbearing parents, you know, at times versus more passive ones. You know, what is that relationship? How do you define that? How critical is that with the parents? Well, I always try to establish the open door. Like if if we if we treat it with respect, we know how to handle all the situations. So like I always tell the parents, especially at the first parent meeting, whether that's with the rise, which I think, let me throw a plug on that. That's a wonderful organization with uh, Fred Cannon, who does an amazing job. And he's been doing his thing for a long time. And I'm just happy to be come on and be a part of, of what he's got going on. But to the point of AAU and, and, and high school parents, I think when you have that initial meeting and you're up front and you tell them like your goals, your vision, um, you put you put things like, well, you know, after a game, it's better to let a coach digress sometimes. Let him let him take deep breaths. But if you are open up that line of engagement and communication with the parents, most most times it's going to be okay. Of course, you got some that's going to be happy. You got some that's going to leave your program. You got some that's going to come to your program. And you can't control all of those dynamics. Only thing I can do is continue to be consistent, be be truthful in what I'm doing, and be myself. And hopefully. That, that can win at the end of the day. It's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. 
we recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336-701-1600. Get comfortable with your financial future. 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors. Retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors. 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satara Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. I don't know if I've asked this question specifically to some of the other, you know, renowned or well-known high school coaches in the area, whether it's Brian Robinson, on the women's side, on the girls' side, or Freddie Johnson at Greensboro's, but Greensboro Day has been around mm-hmm. forever. Andy Muse, you know, I've talked to a lot of them, but uh, but that AAU component, you being a part of the NC Rise program, balancing that, obviously the responsibilities are different. Uh, I would think, you know, you've got to keep them separate, but there's got to be some cross pollination too, you know, in, in terms of how they can help each other. Uh, how would you define the two? Your work with NC Rise and, of course, your your primary duties uh, as part of Davie County High School, are they complementary? Are there times where they can become detrimental to each other? I'm sure it depends on the individual like yourself. And and I mean, I think, like you said, that depends on the individual, because uh, for me, first and foremost, my responsibility is Davie High School. That's my job. That's what I teach. That's where I coach. That's what helps me, allows me to take care of my family. And then on the back end, working with the Rise it's just an opportunity to give kids that may go to other schools an opportunity to come play for you. And, and while at the same time having some of your normal, your regular Davy kids play on that same AAU team or whatnot, and then you can, you can kind of just continue the growth and build the relationships that you have with your current players. I would say that's the most, the strongest point of, of doing a little bit of both, but at the end of the day, man, I think AAU is, is just a opportunity to play against some extremely tough competition. And and I felt that like last year when I was with the Spartans, North Carolina Spartans, um, kind of, that's another amazing organization as well. Um, Coach Josh Thompson, Bishop McGinnis, that's his organization, and they do a really good job with the players and promoting and all that good stuff. But when I was with them, I had um, – three, four of my Davy kids on that team. And and what I would tell the Phenom guys, Rick Lewis and Tyler and all those guys, I would tell them, give me the the don't give me A1, but give me A2. Like I want us to play. And if we getting killed, we getting killed, so be it. But that confidence against playing that type and that level of athlete transitions back to when it's high school because you've already seen it all. Like we played Team Bond plays Sadiq Bay in that Team United team two years ago. So when you're playing against one of the top kids in the nation, then you come back and you're playing against, which is still really good competition, one of the best conferences, the CPC in North Carolina. I mean, you're used to it. And that's the the component I love about the AAU and the high school thing meshing together. But I keep them separate as possible. Um, High school is high school. That's the priority. And then when high school is over around March, we dive into AAU. And we get to work on that that part. But I still put forth a lot of energy in our offseason preparation here at the high school, too. 
it sounds like the the scheduling aspect of what AAU can do in developing these young kids is similar to, you know, like when you were in school and we'll get to it. I'm going to ask you about some of the big time environments you played in because you've played at Syracuse, you've played at Kansas, you've played at Arizona, you know, South Carolina, Florida State, Maryland, um, you know, a Tennessee, Kentucky. I, I think I've <laughs> through my through my research of your final two years in school. That's what I came up yeah. with. So, you know, that, that's a tease uh, towards the end of the interview. However, um, by playing such a brutal type schedule or having that offseason program or having that AAU, you know, program to prepare you for what you might face as, as you know, in high school, uh, that that's critical. So, so that's a great way to look at it for sure. Okay. Tell me about, uh, the Davy high school boys team that you have some of the personnel. I know, I know Jackson powers, uh, looks like he's averaging a double, double 15 mm-hmm. and 10, more than a steel game, couple of blocks. Uh, Bryson Mickey scores over 14, a clip three assists per my last check. And then Coleman, uh, Lawhon, who, who we talked about already engineers, the offense, uh, right around 10 points per game, more than four boards, close to three steals, four and a half assists. I've covered some of the numbers. Those mm-hmm. seem like your three, you know, most uh, your big three, if you will, but yeah. wax on them and, and whomever else you can, uh, in, in defining what this boys team is. Yeah, I mean this 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 team we have a motto we go by is it's we before me. And we always try to put the team first. And and granted that doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with sometimes bad body language, sometimes a kid being upset that they didn't maybe play as much as they would have liked. And and that's part of being a part of a team. That's why I always say if you don't want to be a part of a team, you got track, you got tennis, you got swimming, you got other individual sports. But basketball is a team sport and and we that's the kind of the way we approach it. Like Jackson, to me, is a dynamic big. He played a lot sparingly as a sophomore. Then they played a lot last year as a junior. Well, he was a sophomore, played a lot last year. As a freshman, he played sparingly. And so this year in his junior year, he kind of come into his own and, and his confidence is there. He can his his post game has improved. He's always been an out, you know, outside shooter that can knock down the shot. But we still continue to develop that left. And he's He's holding his own, man. He does really well for us. Um, I think he's like the anchor in the paint for us. And, and he always, like you say, averages a double-double. And he has multiple nights where he can get you 20 and 15, just depending on how he's guarded and how he adjusts because he's going to get that attention. Uh, Coleman, again, one of those, he played a lot last year as a junior. He played sparingly as a sophomore, but he still played varsity. And then he had a really good summer for us with the uh, Spartans and last year. So that confidence just rolls over. And now, I mean, Coleman, is, in my opinion, is one of the slept, most slept on unsigned seniors in this area. Like, like I've seen this kid, his his game has grown. He, he can play defense. As you see the steals, he he can facilitate the offense. He's had one game, I think, with, uh, I want to say 15 assists, something like that, when we played at Alexander Central. Um, so he can give you – and he had another with 10 – so he can give you different things as well as his scoring and his shooting. So, I mean, he's tough. Then we had Bryson Mitch, as you mentioned, he came in from Calgary um, in the fall. And he's just a, a gamer, man. Like, if you if you look at him, you would underestimate him, which I think a lot of people do. And then by the time the game is over, he gave you 20 points. He just grabbed four or five rebounds and gave you three or four assists. And he's just a flat-out gamer that can play the game. He's extremely smart. He got a high IQ. Then when you when you continue out with that starting five, we got Ethan Ratliff, who's a lefty. Uh, I think over the last three games, maybe yeah, two to three games, he's averaging at least over the last two, he's averaging close to twenty. 
a game because he's starting to find his niche and he's a strong four man, still six four. And he's been around, played on the undefeated freshman team here, played really good JV. And then last year he came in and started for us. So he's coming back. Then sophomore, the, the, to finish up the five, we got a sophomore, Ethan Driver, football player as well. I think he's a slot receiver. He just got blue hands. Like, I mean, his range is so wild to me to be 6'1", 6'2". He grabbed 10 rebounds for us one game, huge game. I think the West Forsyth game that we had won here at home. And and from there, man, we got a bench that's just complimentary. Like, we play 11 strong. Like I got Gavin Williams. He's a 6'7 shooting guard. He's a starter until he had a concussion. We had, you know, but it, we have a team that just keep plugging in pieces. And I think they all complement each other. Like, we got Gavin Williams. We got uh, Braddock Coleman, Coleman Lawhorn's cousin, defensive guy that, that can shoot the ball. We got Adam Brown, like a he's like a Swiss Army knife, can do a little bit of everything. We got Biggs that's still young and growing, Swisher, Waller. Um, and we even got guys going to the Navy uh, just off of ROTC, and he's one of our captains. He don't play a lot, but you would think the kid plays every minute of every game. And all of those things, man, thrown into a pot, to me, creates a successful team because it's just a team that everybody plays together. And we got, don't forget, let me forget Landon King. That's Iverson's King's younger brother. And you know Iverson King going for side country day. Yeah. Yeah, he, his, that's his younger brother, and he's just now getting – his rhythm back coming back from a knee injury last year playing football. So it's like it's all coming together, man, and this team and the pieces to have 13, 14 kids bought in is a big difference from the eight or nine that we had last year. Roses are red, violets are purple, not blue. Looking for a home? You know what to do. If your heart is set on the home of your dreams, let's find your love nest. Call the Sharp Mortgage Team. No need for Cupid, arrows, or bows. Just a cozy house where such happiness grows. Whether it's a cottage, a condo, or a mansion grand, our team is here to lend a helping hand. Imagine a kitchen where you cook up delights or a backyard oasis under the stars at night. With rates getting as sweet as candy hearts, homeownership is where the real romance starts. Forget the cards, the flowers, and the candies. A home of your own would be just dandy. So this Valentine's Day, let's start a plan. To talk about your loan, we'll give you a hand. No more renting. Let's make a fresh start and turn a house into a piece of your heart. Happy Valentine's Day wishes made for two from the Sharp Mortgage Team. We're here for you. Yeah, it sounds like a tremendous collection of pieces, especially when you got a six seven guy coming off the bench. Now I know he was starting injury concussion yeah. and Gavin Williams, but um, no, really cool. And and you're right on on Coleman. You know, I read some literature. There's some pieces out there you can find it. You know, he's 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 underrated. I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Six three, currently unsigned, three level score, scrappy, top marksman, lethal shooter, team oriented, smart. You know, he's. He's a scrappy dude, um, you know. So hopefully he gets he gets rewarded with what's coming his way as long as he continues yes, his strong his strong play. I want to go to the loss now because you lost at the end of January for the first time after rattling sixteen in a row, uh, best start in sixty nine years, longest win streak in Davie High School boys basketball history after losing at East Forsyth, which is your alma mater. So I'm sure there were some added emotions there. Uh, you tweeted the following. The beauty of basketball, after seeing East Forsyth students storm the court and their players celebrating the locker room, opened my eyes to one important fact. Davy Boys High School basketball has arrived. Back to work we go, being humbled, hardworking, and blue-collared. Hashtag War Eagles. Basketball emoji 
three times over. Uh, I, I think anyone who reads that or hears it know the kind of person you are, further, further illustrating everything we've kind of talked about, mm-hmm. Josh. Uh, but but how was that message received by the locker room following the court storming? I mean, that's what I wanted them to see. Like, I mean, they stormed the court. Then they, you know, they and, and more credit to them, they won the game, man. I mean, it was it was a good game. I thought we battled here and there. The score was misleading. I mean, we were up one with about six minutes left in the game. So the score was kind of misleading because we fouled at the end and they made free throws. Then they got a little two little layups at the end to make it 16, 17. But I mean, you know, they beat on the locker room in the locker room after the game as well on the wall. And so I told these kids, I said, sit down and be quiet. I said, soak it in. I said, this is a testament to your season and to the work that you put in. We, we, I don't, I didn't expect us to win every game. I mean, I expected us to compete. I expected us to be in every game and I expected us to be victorious, more victorious than we would losing. But I told them, man, soak it in and understand that this is what it means to beat you now. That's how far we've come. So now we have to work that much harder to make people understand that you're going to have to have one of those nights to beat us. And, and I thought the team responded well. We played Glenn well. And then we played Reagan again, which is another rival in this, this CPC. I said, and we was able to, to handle that game Tuesday, which is leading up to tonight. And like I told them, tonight is no different. It's just like no matter – we've already won once, but it's, it's funny how it's like everybody forget about it. Like it's like, oh, there's no way they're going to beat Mount Tate. And I'm sitting here like, we just won, you know. But it's like, let's sweep it under the rug like it never happened. And I'm okay with that because that gives these kids another opportunity to prove themselves. And that's the method, 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 the message I've been pushing all week. If they don't want to give you your flowers, you have to prove yourself and you have to take them. And undefeated or not, maybe even more so because you were 16-0 in this instance, mm-hmm. I, I imagine. And you know, you, you just said it, you know, go take those flowers that are yours that are not going to be given. I, I imagine, you know, the special teaching moments that can follow a loss. And, and again, considering you were undefeated before, can, can really test these guys and help redefine who they are and, and pull back, you know, this resiliency that you're trying to tap in right. time and time again. And I think you said it when we started the interview, you know, these guys respond, you know, the, these mm-hmm. boys that you have, they respond and that's how you challenge them. I, I'm sure all of this messaging is part of why you took to coaching once you hung it up in 2014 as a pro. Is that what made you ultimately want to get into coaching is, is to help with this messaging and molding these young boys into men? Yeah, I mean, that, that had a great, a, a big part to do with it. And I had my own selfish reasons as far as I, the game had given me so much. Like, the game kept me out the streets. The game educated me, helped me get an education. The game took me around the world. You know, and God sprinkling his thing on that. But the game, I, I knew – I mean, I played this game since I was 39 years old. That's not even 10 years removed. And the urge and, and the want to play is still there, but I know the body don't do that no more. So I knew I wanted to be around this game, and I felt what better way to do it. My, my ultimate goal was to maybe be a college coach one day. But a lot of those coaches are now younger or they were graduate assistants or things like that. So I said, well, you know what? Um, high school is just as good. And 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 moving my way up through the ladder to get here at Davie has been nothing but joy. But the 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 biggest thing I, I take from it is that the life lessons that you can give to these young men 
and, and the I can in those messages can touch anybody at any time and push them to a new level in life. Because I've had some kids that were definitely going left, but through consistency, through, through love, through harshness at times, through realness, some of them are going right and they're going right in the right direction to where they need to be going to be successful men in a couple of years down the line. I hope you can give me at least five more minutes here because I want to talk about college oh, and, good, and your pro career. I know you got a game to run off to, but this is this is truly um, enlightening. You know, you are you are a special person, special coach, Thanks, and, sir, and you know what, whatever it is that that look. We all experience. We all have skeletons in our closet. We've mm-hmm. all experienced. Yeah. You know, sure. the wrong things and so often the best things that have helped shape us. You know, it's how we it's how we respond. It's how we and these are the messages you're teaching to your kids. It, it's who we are and what foot we put forward today, you know, and tomorrow. We can't live in the past. So, you know, that's uh, that's what helps um, define us. Your past, though, consisted of a 17 year professional playing career overseas uh, ending in 2014. Like you said, you were 39 mm-hmm. across Argentina, Venezuela and Mexico. It included uh, becoming the Argentine League's top scorer in 2003. That's when I was graduating eighth grade. So uh, uh, we're not that far off, uh, really. And, and you decided to stay close to home and remain in state before that in college, repping the Bulldogs of UNC, mm-hmm. UNC Asheville across your chest for four years. So the question is this. We're talking about home gyms, and I've kind of already, already teased this. Um, which home venue was your favorite to play in? As as a visitor, now I rattled off some of those big boys. Okay, wow. like I could imagine Fog Allen, maybe or Carrier. Don't like I don't know. I, I don't want to talk you into something. But um, most hostile, most raucous could could be the same. Maybe uh, your favorite to play in because of you know the opposing fans or the venue or the sight lines. I don't right. know. Take it wherever you want to go. Well, I mean, in college, man, I, you can't you can't really put put it in the perspective. Like I try to tell, like Rupp Arena playing there against Kentucky, then you're playing and you get to play in the Dean Dome as a freshman and a sophomore. I mean, as a freshman, my first college experience that year, then you you move, you go all the way out west and you get to play at Arizona. The year after they won the national championship, you get to play Bibby and Simon and Dickerson and all those guys. And then you hit Kansas where I walk out and the, the fans are clapping and I was like, oh, okay. I've arrived. And then I look down and I see Paul Pierce coming out the other hallway. I'm like, oh, okay, that wasn't for me. <laughs> you, know, you know, just to to see those places, man, and, and play in those places is a gift. And then, but like there was nothing like playing at UNC Asheville before the the new stadium. We played in the old gym, and man, that place would be standing room only. Like in in my junior and senior year, I think we only lost at home maybe once or twice. Um, but my senior year, we didn't lose a game at home. And just to see how that that community, that that moment and that era right there kind of put UNC Asheville on the track to be what it is today as one of the better schools in the Big South and in North Carolina, period. And you talk about facilities and education and, and people coming in. But, like, the places, man, that I've, I've played in and had a chance to play – were, were some big, nice places. Like when we won, when I was in Argentina with Peñarol, no, with Corda, but with Atenas, we won the um, South American League. And that's where you have, you're the best team in the continent. And you play a tournament throughout the league. And only people that play in that are returning championship teams from the, the regular league. And so we got to play in Brazil game five. And 
man, that game was was packed. They had about six thousand fans in there, and and they were stuffed in, and we were on the road, and it was a championship game. And we ended up pulling it out, and that that arena, man, that that atmosphere, you just can't match. It gives you goosebumps just thinking about it. So I played in some places all around the world that they all rank up there at the top. Yeah, I was going to ask, I don't know the vibes overseas. You know, I've seen, a, I, I love Adam Sandler, one of his recent movies, Hustle, which you talk about a guy who's recreated his career, but he goes and yeah. scouts overseas and he's going in all these gyms and you see the way the fans, you know, take to, to some of those players. I saw a video with Frank Kaminsky, you know, who played at Wisconsin and, and you know, for the Hornets. Uh, just recently on social media, it was like a TikTok or a reel or something. Right. And I thought the ceiling was going to come down out of one of these gyms. You know, these fans were, you know, they were the real deal. And, you know, for those of you, that are able to see a clip of this interview. We'll put it on social media. Uh, some of these answers, responses. You can see Josh's office. He's got some of those. So some of those jerseys, some of those tops mm. that he wore uh, from his time overseas. What is the most memorable um, moment or experience about those seventeen years for you? I man, I would just say that's a bunch of them. Like being being. I guess I mean I was an all-star for about 13 years and the years that I wasn't probably would due to an injury or something like that. The being a league MVP twice was was, was crazy for me. Um because it means, you know, it's different being in the United States. It's it's a different vibe. But then when you're talking about being the MVP of in a whole nother country, being the best basketball player in that country where there's three Americans on every team. You have eight to ten national players, and, and it's when at a time when Argentina had beat the United States in in the um, I think it was in the World Championship the first time, and so the the, the country was on fire. Manu Ginobili and all those guys, and being that I played with his brother, point guard, six four point guard Seppo, and and Walker Whiskey and all those guys, knowing those guys and playing against and competing against those guys before they may have went to Europe during that time and some were still in Argentina. Man, it's just those moments, just going back to that makes it, I mean, those those are all like some of the greatest moments that I've ever experienced in my life as a player and as a person. And I've been in stadiums, man, where they give you an Ole chant where you got 10,000 people chanting your name. So it's, it's an experience that it's hard to explain, but I keep it near and dear and I always will be thankful for it. This time of year, people like to make plans for what they want to accomplish. Maybe your focus in 2024 is buying, selling, or investing in real estate. Maybe it's purchasing your first home or building wealth for your family. Whatever your goals are, the agents at The Ginther Group can help. It's never too early to begin working with Blake Ginther and his team, who have been a trusted resource to the triad community since 2010. To reach Blake and his team at The Ginther Group, just visit theginthergroup.com or give them a call, 336-283-8689. That's spectacular. That's tremendous. I, I got one big picture question about Davey and then a little rapid fire, uh, just a couple more minutes here. But but Coach Josh, um, what you accomplished at UNC Asheville you know, can't be overstated, I, I don't believe. And, and people, I'm hoping you know, to help 
you know, we're trying to amplify and shine a light on, on Davey and, and the boys basketball team there. But like, how about we go in the way back machine here uh, and look at what you did in the mid nineties and, and your final year in 98. I mean, you won two big South player of the year awards that had only been done twice uh, prior to you. You ended your time in Asheville as the program's all-time leading scorer. I checked last night. You're still top 10. I think it was sixth. Uh, you had the most steals uh, as well, 175, um, you know, which was a high mark. But those 97 and 98 teams, you earned the regular season championship in the Big South, but you came up short in that tournament championship each year. And and for people who are familiar with the way the college game in Division One of the NCAA tournament works, uh, for those smaller leagues, those mid-majors, often they're one-bid leagues. You got to win it. Um, yep. You didn't. You, you got upset. So uh, for a, how well you played and how strong those teams were, you individually is one thing, but your teams were great. Uh, you averaged more than 18 per game, four rebounds and two steals those final two seasons. And as regular season champs, you were left on the outside looking in uh, as the team's most valuable player. Uh, how long did it take you to get over missing out on the tournament when being so close for two years? I mean, it still hurts today. Like it, it, it because you just it's, it always is that what if factor, you know? Like, what if we made it and made a run? And I mean, I mean, we 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 played well, man. We we played. I thought we played good basketball. Rafford game ninety eight. I can remember it like yesterday. The guy picked the ball up and threw like a half hook, and it bounced around and went in at the buzzer. After we came back from being down ten, I think it was. With a little bit of time left, and and I mean, it's it's just one of those things where you just like, man, what if? But overall, like that to be on that those teams, we we were able to get those games my junior year. Then my senior year, we we could not get a mid major. Like it was hard to get a mid major, and if we did get one, we had to go on the road to play it because of what we brought on the court. I mean, you, I, I talk to kids all the time, and I said, dude, y'all are small as compared to how we were when we played, because you you looking at starting five of six three, six five, six six, six nine, six eleven. Then you got a bench with three seven footers on the bench. And that's how we were back then. And it was just big time basketball for, for us at little old UNC Asheville. And we put that I thought I feel like we put that school on the map. We was just just came up short. I mean we 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 brought the brought home the first titles per se at, for the league for the school which was good and we changed the culture but we just came up a little bit short i, I promise i'm not trying to you know uncover old wounds uh, this comes from a good <laughs> place good. In, in asking because it's very <laughs> revealing about you and your competitive mm -hmm. spirit and again how much you meant to that program how much that program meant to you and yep. the good times that you brought to unc Asheville for sure okay real quick these can be one word answers expand as much as you like but um to follow up on the big south toughest place to play in the Big South, other than in Asheville? Ooh, probably been, I'll say at Radford. At Radford. Most difficult dude you had to defend. You named a few from your big boy visits. Ooh, the most physical, I would say, but I would say the most, I wouldn't say the most physical because I was always able to kind of hold my own because of the way we worked. But I would say when I was a pro, his name was Mario Donaldson. I think he was a point guard at maybe Drexel, and he was a 6'4", 6'5", point guard. And I had to guard him, and he ended the game with, like, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. And, I mean, there was – Nearly got like, a nearly got triple-double on you. <laughs> dude, I could, nothing I could do. Like, he was, he was in his 32, 33. I was probably 23, 22, 23. Now, I got mine, but my goal was to stop him from getting his – 
And I just couldn't do nothing about it, man. Like he, I was on his hip. He was doing some old freaky man. He was beside me, laying it up. And it was just like probably one of the toughest learning experiences I've ever experienced. What about your your scoring ability, your, your scoring prowess? Now, your measurements, I think, were 6'6", 200. Uh, is that about what you're still at? I mean, well, nah, you don't have to tell me if you're above. Man, I'm about, <laughs> I'm about, to be honest, I was probably always about 6'5". Right now, I'm about 6'5", 230. Okay. All right. But, All right. Where, yeah, where know, was... Where was the one spot on the floor, though, or where whether you caught it out in space or, you know, maybe you were working the high to mid post, you know, uh, with your frame? Where was the one spot on the floor where you caught the ball and felt like you would score every time? And uh, to be honest, with you, everywhere. Like I, I would I would post three. I had the floater. I didn't really shoot too many pull ups. It was in between. But that's what I mean. That's what we had to do being an American at that time when you go play or whatever. Like my first year, they were about to cut me, and I was like, "Dang!" I talked to my mom. I said, "Mom, average like nineteen and seven, and they they want to bring." And they told me, "Man, we need somebody to be aggressive to to be." Because I was still in that Asheville mindset. I wasn't in the pro mindset, so I had to learn how to score any kind of way possible to get buckets, and that's a credit to the longevity because I was still always a leading scorer on my team, even at thirty seven, thirty eight years old. I love that. Who was your favorite player growing up? I'm MJ, man. I, now, now I had to make, you see him you know, over my right shoulder. Yeah, I got that <laughs> one in the uh, locker room. <laughs> yeah, I got that one in the locker room downstairs. Um, I was always an MJ guy, man. And then it, after you know, then it was Tim Duncan. I love, I love Chris Webber. I thought Chris Webber and the Fab Five kind of changed the way basketball looked and was played. Uh, uh, I got to play against Allen Iverson when we were 17, 18 in the Coliseum. So like like I've seen it all, man, and it's just I can't say. I guess as you get older, you have favorites, you know. But to me, I'm always gonna be a Jordan guy. At Asheville, if NIL was a thing, what product would be best for you to promote and rep? What would you most want to rep in the NIL space? What makes the most sense? Have to be shoes. Got have to be. I mean, I know it's at UNC Asheville. Maybe we can get some Jordans or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd have to be shoes, man. I'm a, I'm a sneakerhead to this day. Even my girlfriend, Carrie, she gives me grief because she, she'll come home and send me a text, but just a picture. What is this? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What about – uh? so you got – You've got a daughter who just turned 21. She's yeah. in school. And then your two-and-a-half-year-old son, mm-hmm. uh, they, they probably got some fresh fresh kicks too, right? You, yeah, you I mean, that – Alexis always, my daughter, she always, she's more of a clothes person, accessories type than my son. We started off with, you know, Carrie got mad at me because I ended up buying like three, four pair of shoes at one time. And then he outgrew them within two months. So we kind of scaled back on that. And now he just has about two or three pair that he can wear that are a little bit bigger for that space. But, uh, you know, I'm just waiting on the matching days. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, those are the days I'm currently in, but I got my daughter. She's eight. Her first pair of J's for Christmas or Santa did. Um, so, you know, uh, I feel like she can wear them and be, you know, respectful at least. We're teaching her how to clean them and put them away, you know, and make sure you, you know, put the paper or sock back in the toes yeah, so they don't see, crease. Yeah. All that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I got you. Okay. All right, Josh. I appreciate it. this. has been awesome. Uh, final thing. I- I'll leave you with this. I-, I know you're not one to forecast 
you know, the future or make declarative statements about where this team can finish, how they might compare to others at, at Davy. I get that. Um, again, your 16 game win streak out of the gates and the start, you know, speaks for itself. Uh, but tell our listeners this, if you can, what, what is this team ceiling and, and how do you, whether it's wins or losses, how do you want this group to be most defined? Um, uh, cause I have a feeling it isn't measured by the win or loss at the end of the evening. No, I, I think when, when people look back at this group, I want them to understand that this was a underestimated group, that it was a group that people didn't weren't too high on. I mean, they knew we would be decent because we returned players. But I think this team, in my opinion, and I know a lot of coaches say it as they should about their own team. I think we can go as far as we allow ourselves to go. Like we have adjusted to the moments now, the the, the big games, the the big crowds, either at home or on the road. We have handled adversity. We have had people loop. We've lost some in and out the lineup. So I mean, but but I think the the there's no ceiling for this team. I think this team will go as far as they believe they can go. Cause I even tell them I believe in them more than they believe in themselves sometimes. And that's the 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 message that you have to kind of get across as a coach. But when I think when people think back of this team, this one is probably going to be talked about for quite some time if we continue to do, and that's a big if, if we continue to do what we're supposed to do, continue to put the work in and continue to stay humble, which I'm going to pretty much try my hardest to make sure that happens. Well, it'll continue here against Mount Tabor as we conclude this conversation here on a Friday night. Of course, um, your time on Triad Sports 101 as part of the Triad Podcast Network is, is so very well appreciative. I know this will be received very well. Can't thank you enough. Uh, very grateful for your authenticity, uh, your genuine approach to life and, and your kids. Um, and and if you if anyone wants to continue to follow, which I'm sure somebody will want to, uh, follow Josh on Twitter. He is on Twitter at jpittman1976. You can continue, continue to follow the journey of Davie High School boys basketball team, the War Eagles. They continue their pursuit of, of so much more on the hardwood and in life. Uh, Josh, thank you so much, brother. All right, good luck the rest of the way and uh, look forward to catching the game soon, all right? Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to share my story. I don't really, it's ironic. I don't really get that often around here being from Winston. I'm kind of, I don't know, people don't really know who I really am, but I just thank you for reaching out and giving me this opportunity, especially to put some, more light on the kids because they deserve all the shine that they get. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode on the Triad Podcast Network. Our mission is simple. Provide information, advice, and stories about the people and places that make the North Carolina Triad such a great place to be. You can find us by searching Triad Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you like to listen. If you like what you heard and want to support the show and those that contribute, we would truly appreciate a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word along, as do your shares on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Triad Podcast. To get in touch with us, simply email info at triadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Triad Podcast Network.